angel look like? Well, I have I have two and a half at the minute, so um, I have two with me, uh, pretty much um, whenever, wherever, and I have another one that's with me periodically. Um, the one that's with me all the time is with me right here. His name is Valor. Uh, you probably can't see him. That's all right. Uh, he's with me. He looks, he's probably not that like physically impressive. He's not like this seven and a half foot tall behemoth, you know, muscle man. He looks pretty normal, but he looks he's pretty like strong. He's pretty, um, you know, pretty ripped. Uh, he does have wings and he does carry a weapon. He does carry a sword. Uh, so that's him. The other guy is a guy called Faith. And he is, he's probably a little bit smaller and wears like a monk's habit, uh, has no wings. Um, and he's a little bit heavier, he's a little bit roly polier. Um, I do have an angel in my house that's there all the time. He looks, he's, he's small. He's like five, four, five, five, probably. No, he's not. He's probably about five, eight. Um, just we're all tall in my house, so he looks small. Uh, he looks Middle Eastern, and he's he's reads books all the time. So uh, he's actually there for our protection. He's there solely for our protection. Our angel's small, yep. Uh, six or seven inches tall. Never seen that. I've never seen, like, small angels except for in the context of, like, kind of, like, visionary things I would have. So at the minute, one of the ongoing visions that I have is this building cities thing. Um, and the way I describe it is that there is currently a, that there are angels gathered building a city that is the size of this room. And there are then angels gathered that are building a city on the, the you know, this, this phone. But I, I, I see that more as a visionary thing as opposed to... I, you know, a vision, you know, visions, trances, all that, as opposed to seeing angels. So, never seen them that tiny, but that's all right. Buddy, that's going to see a super, like, you think of this superhero stuff. This isn't just marketing. This is something in us that knows we're built for more. We, we, there is something inside of us that is the DNA of God. Like, we are created in His image. In his image, we look just like him. The first sin was not pride. You understand that? The first sin wasn't pride. The first sin was that you didn't believe you looked like your father. I believe we're moving into a season of different evangelism, of evangelism done differently. Like up until now, we've tried to convince people of their worminess, but that God will take them anyway. Right? We've tried to convince people of, of the fact that they're dust, but that the Father will accept them anyway because of Jesus, right? That's, that's how I got saved. I don't know if any of you got saved that way, but someone tried to convince me, first of all, that sin was sin, because I didn't really believe that sin was sin. I thought it was just, hey, do whatever you want. And so they convinced me that sin was sin. Then they convinced me I was a sinner in need of a savior. That's kind of how evangelism has been done for a long time. I believe we're moving into a new season. Let, let, me, let me read a scripture to you. God be gracious. This is Psalms 67. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. 
right? It's based on the ironic blessing, not the ironic blessing. That's a whole different thing. Um, but it's based on the blessing from Aaron. Um, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with fairness and guide the nations on, on the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us so that all the ends of the earth may revere him. I believe we're coming into a season where the blessings of God will be upon his people, so much so that everyone else will say, how do I get in on that? That's what this is about. Lord, that you would bless us, that the nations would know who you are. Who owns the earth? Who actually owns the earth? But this is, well, there's nobody worthy to actually take this until Jesus, King Jesus comes. This lion who appears as a lamb, freshly slain. And Jesus is the one that's worthy then to open this scroll. Because this is what happened. We, I, I, I want to confess something theologically to you. I, I don't believe in penal substitution. You can look it up. You don't know what it means. It's fine. You don't agree with me. But I believe there's way more happening at the cross. Honestly, the, you've no idea the amount of times I get asked, well, are you commanding angels? Like, or should we really be commanding angels? And I, th I think like that's just really immature thinking. It's really immature thinking to think that this is just like one dimensional. Here we are, we're, we're commanding angels. What about partnering with the entire spirit realm? Can we do that? You see, there is only one spirit realm. There aren't two spirit realms. There's, there, there is one spirit realm. There's like the, the, you know, the new age movement is not tapping into a different spirit realm than, than Christians tap into. It's one spirit realm. And I, I think our, we're, we're the ones with the authority. We're the ones that actually make Christ the center of our experiences. Uh, so there has to be some kind of safety within that. Uh, I think there is a generation that is starving for the supernatural, for some answers to their mystical experiences. Everybody has had some kind of mystical experience and there's, a, there's an entire planet that's hungry for it. Take Daniel, for example. It's nonsense. I, I, my Bible says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have nothing to fear with them. As long as I keep Christ the center, as long as we keep Christ the center of everything we do, everything we experience, um, we're pretty safe and secure uh, in knowing that, that there is more things that, than, than just simply earth, the materialism of earth. So, um, so I think there is, there is a generation. Let, let, let me throw out a statistic for you. There have been over 160 movies just about ghosts, just about ghosts in the last 10 years. Now, now what's the church's response to that? The church's response is don't go see them. Uh, don't entertain them. Don't show them to your children because ghosts are of the devil. Okay, so let's say ghosts are of the devil. Like, can we look beyond that and say, what's the cry? What is the hunger for? The hunger is for some kind of connection. Um, back to Harry Potter. I, I looked at a bunch of the spells in Harry Potter and um, there seems to be enough biblical evidence for a lot of them. Let's let's take the, the this one 
scene where they take this potion and they change into somebody else. They're unrecognizable as their former selves. Is that in the Bible anywhere? Well, of course it is. Jesus appeared to two disciples, two people that had been with him for three years on the road to Emmaus and they didn't recognize him. I'm not saying he took a potion, but I'm saying the capacity in a spirit realm, in the spirit realm, to change your appearance is very real. But one of the most puzzling things that gets um, on Christians' nerves, I think, is talking to dead people. Because we use the witch of Endor, we, we use Saul going to the witch of Endor and summoning the prophet Samuel as the sort of text, the text to say we shouldn't do this. And I'm not a fan of going after speaking to the dead, just to be clear. I, I will have more to say, that, say on that later on, but I, I certainly don't believe we should go to speak and seek out speaking to dead people. But the reality is Jesus did it. I don't know whether he was summoned to, to this transformation mountain or, or not, but uh, he certainly went and spoke to Moses and Elijah. Well, you might say, well, Elijah wasn't dead. Elijah was tran transfigured or caught up into the heavens. Well, that's right, but Moses was dead. It actually says, Moses, Moses my servant, is dead. It reminds me of a Monty Python sketch. He's dead. He's done. He's, he's over. Deceased. Gone. And yet Jesus has some interaction with him. Well, it's Jesus. Yes, but he was also there with Peter, James, and John. So there's definitely some Bible references to, in, to talking with and being talked to by dead people. And that's not the only one. There's that mysterious verse, that mysterious portion in Matthew 27. You know that bit where, where Jesus is crucified and the veil, of the, the veil is torn from top to bottom, opening, opening all of heaven to all of earth, you know, taking away any barrier there is between heaven and earth. And what happens? There's a bunch of dead people start to get out of their graves and walk about and talk to people. I mean, that's bizarre. That is just totally bizarre. And I, would, I wish there was sort of more chapters written about what actually happened. Well, do you feel a little overwhelmed listening to what you just heard? Because I sure did. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know I included a lot of clips today at the beginning, and I normally do that just to kind of set the groundwork for what we're going to be talking about and testing against Scripture. This particular individual you just heard is Ian Carroll. You may or may not be familiar with him, but he is a professing mystic. He professes and proclaims that he activates angels. He has his own ministry with his wife. It's called Building Contenders. I was alerted to this individual for a while now from a brother in Christ, and he sent me a recent link to an e-course that he is offering called The Journey into the Mystical Realm. And the last clip that you you and I just listened to came from that. And in order to listen to that, you have to plug in your email and you have to actually sign up for this course. It, you can listen to that intro for free, this 13 minute long video, but you have to put your email in. So it's a little bit cryptic. It's not forthright on their website. I, I'm not obviously signed up for the rest of the course, but just to kind of give you an idea um, before we get into the meat of today, this course includes such things as, I'm just clicking down through here, um, Chief Chihuahua. This is some of the names of the, <laughs> the teachings. He has a PDF on discernment, a video called Dimmer Switch, Dimmer Switch and Blockages, a surprising blockage, seeing and understanding what you see. So he talks about being a seer and activate, again, activating gifts, activating angels. 
Um, under this same journeys in the mystic realm, he talks about more things in heaven and earth, ranks and order, assignments. Again, you have to pay for this. It's a $79 course. Um, I am not paying for it, obviously, but I can see some of these topics. Christocentric, faith, don't be angry, imagination. And he says this is a video from um, his, his wife's Voice of Love course. She on, on their website says that she activates voices. So it gets very interesting here. That was under prayer and meditation. Under meditations for this e-course, you can um, find out about practice makes us better, not perfect. Mantras, prayers, first meditation, second meditation, third meditation, fourth meditation, a prayer at a mystical seminar. You can grow in your awareness uh, with dreams. He has dream interpretation uh, courses available where he can interpret your dreams, um, do Zoom calls and such. Um, he talks about using scripture for protocols. Um, it, it goes on and on on this e-course. But I wanted to play a little bit of that at the end because it really bothered me when I heard him say these things and just the twisting of scripture that he did. And we'll look at at least a couple of these today. And I would encourage you as always to do your own biblical study. And I know this is a very long intro, but this is important. There's a lot of stuff that he talks about. And there's one big thing aside from the necrom- uh, endorsing necromancy it would seem um, endorsing Harry Potter and spells and manipulating the scripture of Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus with our beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in such a way, um, activating angels and the mystic realm and focusing. It's very mystical Gnostic sounding when you listen to him. And he has affiliations with John Arnott, Carol Arnott. There's a, a video of him on stage uh, talking about angels and the guardians of the presence. Um, it was on God TV. Uh, there's clips of him talking about seeing Bob Jones uh, on his in his book. There's a link to Holly Pivick's blog I'll put on here. There's um, video evidence of him being at St. Patrick's grave, I believe, and they're decreeing and declaring and basically... Um, giving honor to St. Patrick and, and um, it, it almost seems like a level, like a, a type of grave soaking in a way or wanting the mantle of St. Patrick. There's so many things that this man says, but there's one thing that is extremely problematic. And we're going to talk about that. And it has to do with the gospel, which is fundamental to the believer. So I appreciate you sticking with me in this very long introduction. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. And I will um, share some links for you, some resources that may help get you started on Bible study as far as understanding the Mount of Transfiguration, understanding the cloud of witnesses. That's a big teaching he has as well. That there's things that he says that are extremely problematic that put major red flags about around his teaching that need to be marked and avoided. So stick with me as we look at some of these things today, not exhaustively, but we're going to look at some of the teachings that he perpetuates. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Well, where do we start with a topic (laughs) like this when you're talking about a specific individual's teaching um, in and of itself, and you're not just talking about a general topic that several different teachers are involved in? Not to say that other people don't teach what he's teaching, but it was just very interesting combing through some of the material that I was provided by a brother in Christ, and I appreciate that. But I wanted to share some a little bit with you that's pertinent to this uh, topic today when we cover a few different things. 
on Holly Pivik's blog, and it's on hollypivik.com. Again, I will have the link in the description below. But um, in, on June 9th of last year, Holly wrote a blog post called NAR Extremism, Why Don't Leading Apostles Call It Out? And in this, she has the clip of them going to St. Patrick's grave and what is going on there and that they're decreeing and declaring in such a way. But he is, again, affiliated, Ian Carroll is, with um, Randy Clark and Bill Johnson. And again, he is under the Bethel Leaders Network. He has that on his ministry website. I looked that up the other day and getting some more information about the Bethel Leaders website. Uh, their network, and uh, just the things that they use, the wording that they use. It's a place for leaders to belong to the Bethel family. And um, the the financial contributions, there's two different levels that you can do, which senior leaders, which is the influence membership, they pay $1,980 a year. Now, if you do credit card, you have to pay more than that because you have to cover the percentage fees for credit cards, I would imagine, but it was $2,100 with a credit card. And so they talk about what's available, such as Sozo Sessions, Leadership Coaching, uh, Online Revival Group, but they're submitted to this network. And they agree with Bethel's vision statement, their their statement of faith, their everything that they stand for, Bethel stands for, they believe that and agree with it. And so I was looking at that. I was looking at his ministry website and some of the things that he and his wife offer and the things that they talk about. And they, um, they talk about bringing heaven to earth, uh, activating the supernatural, building kingdom foundations, partnering with heaven. This is a lot of Bethel type talk, NAR type talk, really. When you hear this, and I'm going to share some things a little later that, that again, that was the most troubling thing for me. And I've talked a little bit about this before in other episodes, but on their ministry site, just to kind of give you an idea before we dive into some more clips and dive into scripture, um, you're going to see on here, they talk about their about page. They have a store on here with different books that he's uh, written. He's written a few books. There's one called Seeing the Glory, A Journey into the Mystical Realm. And Holly had an excerpt from that. I want to read a little bit of that to you. When uh, Communicating with the Dead, this is chapter seven of Ian Carroll's book, Seeing the Glory, A Journey into the Mystical Realm. Carroll asks, quote, can we talk to the dead? And Holly notes that his answer is startling. And it's yes, we can, although according to him, deceased believers are not technically dead. And this is a small excerpt from his book. He says, quote, what if we don't technically die? What if we simply step into life with Jesus in a different realm? And if so, those we thought had died and gone to be with Jesus aren't actually dead. They are in the cloud of witnesses of heaven. And there's a belief that Ian has about the cloud of witnesses. He believes, like some people do, that the cloud of witnesses is for you, that they're cheering you on and that they're celebrating you. And that's what Jesus does. He celebrates you. Look how wonderful my son uh, Ian is. Look how wonderful my daughter is. Just look at her. Isn't she amazing? Yeah. So as we go on, um, he says, so maybe we can talk to them. Basically, Moses had crossed over and yet Jesus talked with him. So is that a precedent for talking to the dead? Maybe. I don't think we should seek out the dead. But what happens when the dead seek us? Within the mystical realm, there might be times when you find yourself seeing or being aware of people who are with Jesus. I don't want to hear that anyone went out and set up a Christian seance and tried to channel their favorite late prophet. 
I hope you understand that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that we might be missing out on some of heaven's messages if we decide that God isn't big enough to communicate from his side of heaven through those who have gone to live with him. And he goes on in this same chapter, Holly mentions this, um, and and I've, I've heard about this before, is that he talks about that he saw Bob Jones, who was a, his now deceased prophet, um, that was part of um, the Kansas City prophets, and um, is allegedly supposed to be very accurate. Um, there were some issues with Bob Jones and his ministry when he was part of the Kansas City prophets. I won't go into that. Just weird teachings that he has. He was affiliated with Bethel, highly revered at Bethel. But Carol says that he saw Bob Jones walk into the room. So he shares this in his book. Obviously, he's big on commanding angels. You heard the beginning that he has two and a half angels assigned by God to serve him. Um, Holly talked about that. And there's lots of stuff that he says. You know, you heard him talk about built the angels building cell, uh, on a city on top of his cell phone and and different things. He has a lot of stuff financially that he can can benefit from on on his ministry page. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I wanted to talk about him today after looking into some of his teachings because it, it's just so concerning, and and it is concerning because again of what I'm going to get into it of what his belief is and what he says about the gospel and the distinctions that he makes and and blatantly what he has said about what he believes and present um, some scriptures to you to talk about that. So the first thing I want to get into um, is his understanding of the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, you heard him talk about earlier in one of the clips that uh, he he actually used necromancy, talking with the dead, and even what, he, what Holly cited in his book, the Mount of Transfiguration to basically justify and say, well, yeah, we can talk to the dead. I mean, Jesus did it. Jesus talked to Moses and Elijah, so we should be able to do that too, right? I mean, that's how that works, right? We, we should be able to do that. Well, let's hear again from a different video what Ian has to say again about this particular passage in Scripture regarding the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9, we're told a story of the transfiguration, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus <laughs> gets to hang out with Moses and Elijah. Now, he is going to be talking a little bit more, and we'll skip this, but he goes into this description that uh, the, some scholars believe uh, what particular mountain it was on and the reason behind it and the Elohim on, in Genesis 6 that fought on Mount Hermon. And he says all these different things that are not relevant to this, but he makes that part of the relevance. That's not the relevance of the passage because nobody knows, to my understanding, where this exactly was. That doesn't matter. <laughs> that's missing the forest for the trees. Let's continue listening on. I'm just telling you what the, the context is, um, because it's very difficult to to share every single soundbite that's in these teachings. I don't want people thinking I'm deliberately taking something out of context. If you're, if you're wanting to listen to some of these videos, I'll be more than happy to share the, the links with you. I, I don't want to share the links here. I'll probably put it in blog posts so that way you can find them if you want it. But I don't want to endorse his teaching because it's just so highly problematic. So I'll probably share it in the blog post and put links in there when I do the, the post on this. At any rate, I, I wanted to share that with you so we can know what the context is. So let's keep listening to what he says about it. All those things point to this interesting subject, which is what's the purpose of the cloud of witnesses? You know, the, the, you've certainly got Elijah and, and 
Moses as part of the cloud of witnesses there and it seems that their job isn't finished that even though they've gone to be uh, you know with Yahweh in, in heaven or paradise where wherever where, whatever it was at the time that their that their job that their role was just not was just not over that they still had some stuff to do and that's kind of why they're there sort of meeting with uh, with Jesus on on this mount of transfiguration and that's really the role of the cloud of witnesses the cloud of witnesses are continuing their mission if you want their purpose uh, even after they go on to be with be with the Lord and what I've discovered and take this for what it is you know but what I've discovered is that it's almost like we have uh, a heavenly council that we have this heavenly board of elders if you want this board of ministers that are actually whose function it is to make sure that you know that their mission is complete so let me give you an example we hear a lot of people talking about um, like the mantles that people give you know you know so-and-so is going to be with the Lord I wonder who will get their mantle well well I, actually what seems to happen is that there are a bunch of people particularly sons and daughters of that minister that are carrying a little piece of what their or a large piece of what their mission and purpose was and then what happens with the cloud of witnesses is that that minister who's gone to be with the Lord is still actively engaged in their their purpose their earthly purpose uh, their earthly kingdom purpose right so it it could be that you know the simplest way I can put it is that they sit on a committee meeting wondering what's happening with X how they can intervene how they can help how they can sustain how they can bring courage how they can you know uh, minister to continue to minister to the person that is carrying out their continued mission um, and that, that actually really gives me great encouragement because it's not really about you know making sure we do this before we die but it's just knowing that the purposes of God in our life will be fulfilled yeah okay all right then so uh, that includes the two different teachings actually it's a Mount of transfiguration and then this video was called the cloud of witnesses it was about a four minute long video he did outside you could probably hear some background noise that was on his end not mine at any rate he talks about the Mount of transfiguration and I want to read this passage to you and talk a little bit about it and encourage you to continue your study of scripture in Matthew we'll just look at, at this gospel Matthew for example um, and it's mentioned, as he said, in Mark and Luke, but in Matthew 17, beginning in verse 1, it says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. 
and lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As Jesus goes on in verse 9, he instructs that these men tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And they are continuing to talk to him about Elijah. So he's helping them to understand more about that dialogue uh, when they're asking about Elijah, which again, do some Bible study on this. Listen to some solid Bible teachers on this. Now, in Matthew 16, we see that Jesus foretells, beginning in verse 21, he foretells his death to his disciples. And he rebukes Peter because Peter is trying to rebuke Jesus and saying, God forbid this, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus knows that this is supposed to happen, and he rebukes Peter for saying that. Now, interestingly enough, as you go on to Matthew 17, Peter is one of the ones that he takes. So this is, um, first of all, this is um, an eyewitness account. Peter witnessed this. He talks about this in Second Peter 1, verses 16 through 21. And you, I would encourage you to read that because I, it fascinates me even reading that to see that Peter's not even focusing on <laughs> that experience, that true account of him witnessing the Mount of Transfiguration, which which showed Peter that Jesus was God, is God, and that he was in glory with Moses and Elijah. Let's take note of that. That's not necromancy. Jesus is God. And Moses and Elijah were in glory. There are some of the passages that, in the accounts that in Mark and Luke that say he was in glory and he was talking to them. And Peter's point is, there's a more sure word of prophecy when you read that that was even greater than what he witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration when he realized this is like Jesus has to go and die and this is who he is. He is God. So there's that. And then there's the other uh, part too that should be pretty easy for us to pick up on. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Jesus said he did not come to abolish or to do away with those things, but he came to fulfill the law and the words of the prophets. He came to do that. And even on uh, the road to Emmaus, let's not forget that. That's one of my, one of my favorite. Um, I have many favorites. That's probably some people are like, you shouldn't do that. But I have these passages that really just stand out to me. And and I just I, I really love reading them is in Luke 24. It's on the road to Emmaus. And and we see what happens on the road to Emmaus, what Jesus does to these two disciples that don't recognize him, which, by the way, is not equivalent to a potion that's used in Harry Potter to conform or transform into some other image. That really bothers me. It really, honestly, I'm, I'm just going to say this and forgive me. I, I kind of wondered why Ian Carroll didn't have um, a chapter in the physics of heaven. Because it, the things he was saying, it was just new age. And then he, he even said in that intro video for that journey into the mystical realm course that you, had to, that you have to pay for with the exception of this introduction video that seems cryptically hidden to where you can't publicly see it without providing your email that there's only one supernatural realm and the new age is tapping into it. And there are allowances made for people that, that talk like this, that they'll say, well, we need to take back what the new age is stolen because those things belong to God says no passage in scripture. There is no passage that says that God redeems those things. In fact, there are passages even in the old Testament that say we are not to participate in these types of practices. Necromancy is one of them. Not talking to the dead, divination, um, all of these things, these omen readings and such. And what is happening in this particular movement, in the hypercharismatic and in the NAR that I'm just for example, it has not just creeped in. It has tentacles embedded in this movement 
to where it is normalized. It is made normal for you to, oh, let's see what the number two is. If I have 222 on my hotel room door, God is using Daniel 222 to speak to me. (laughs) You know, just different things like seeing dragonfly. I've talked about all this stuff before um, because this is stuff I I used to engage in and not, this is new age stuff, y'all. This is new age. And we don't command angels. I've talked about angels before recently on another podcast. So there's little things I'll touch on, but that's not this the 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 focus of today's episode. I want you to understand that when someone once again, I, and I'm gonna, it's like beating a dead horse with this. Whenever you hear someone mentions a, mention a scripture, and first of all, they don't even mention where it is in scripture, and that's to help us to know where the reference point is. That's not a divinely inspired thing. The chapter and verse is not a divinely inspired number. That is to help us for reference. But when someone mentions or alludes to a passage in scripture and they don't take you there so that you can look at the context of it, a red flag should go up and alarm bell should go off to you because you need to open your Bible and you need to read and see what the context says. And when someone is using verses to say and to justify that this is something that, you know, the new age engages in, but you know, this is something that's really a biblical thing to do. All the incantations and the spells in Harry Potter are biblical things. They actually have a biblical precedence and the potions and, you know, Jesus transformed into another image to where the, his disciples didn't recognize him. Well, he was resurrected and they still didn't fully understand what was going on and what opened their eyes. It was when he began to open the scriptures to them on the road to Emmaus. And it talks about this in Luke 24, as I finally land the plane that I circled around the airport with when I talked about Luke 24 just a minute ago, because he goes on to, he talks to them on verse 26. And he says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. It was in the moment when they're breaking the bread, they stopped and um, they approached the village where they were going and the, he acted like he was going farther. They, they basically said, no, please stay with us. Um, and so he stayed with them and it was in the breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened, it says in verse 31, and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight and they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? The word of God rightly understood is vital in the life of a believer. It's vital. When you begin to veer away from the scriptures and the scriptures rightly understood, you're going to wander off. You're going to be led in a different direction that is away from from the true and living God, from the true Christ that's testified of in scripture. This is why it is so important. This teaching he's doing, it's dangerous. And it's leading people astray. And this is why it's vital for you, dear Christian, to be a good Berean. And when someone even faintly mentions, whether they say it by name and they say it's Romans something, which he'll, he, he alludes to some of his teachings. I listened to several of his videos. He alludes to Romans 8. He never said it, but he says, oh, you know, the, the, the passage where the, the, that heaven and earth, that, that the earth is waiting, it's groaning and uh, waiting for, the, for the, re, the revealing of the sons of God. Well, I would just encourage you to read that, that full passage in context, because 
that is that is hinging on the gospel. That's hinging on Christ and what he has done for us and the resurrection. And and it's hinging on his work. It's not about us. That is a man-centered gospel. That is not the true gospel. And I will show you what I mean by that, not the true gospel in just a little bit, because that's, that's a big concern that I have with what's being taught and, and what he's going to be saying here shortly. But we can see here that in Matthew 17, as we go back to the Mount of Transfiguration, we see the representation of the law and the prophets there. It says in the passages that, he, that they were in glory. And that he was trans- that Jesus was transfigured before the disciples, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. This is not necromancy. Never once did Peter, James, or John ever interact with Moses and Elijah. Please note that. Who did? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity who was fully God and fully man. God interacted with Moses and Elijah in glory. And it was demonstrated supernaturally before those three chosen disciples for the point of having witnesses and for them afterwards, after his resurrection, to testify of it. But it was also for their benefit, for them to know who he, that he was who he said he was, because Peter had basically rebuked Jesus in Matthew 16, saying, oh, you're not going to, God forbid that you go and die. And Jesus rebuked him. Again, this is why it's important for you to read scripture, <laughs> to read and to make sure that you're sitting under solid biblical teaching in your local church. This, this is significant. Uh, the transfiguration of Jesus is significant because of it giving the, the glimpse for the three disciples into the glory that Jesus had before the incarnation and that he would continue to have even after the resurrection. And, and I mean, there's other things, too, that when you read that, that, that biblical scholars talk about. But we need to make sure that we're understanding the, the, the basic things there and then continuing to dig into the Word of God in a proper way so that we have a right understanding. So there's that. The other topic I want to cover today, and again, let me just reiterate this. There are several things that Ian Carroll has taught that are very concerning. Um, with with him talking about that we can activate angels, we can tap into the the mystical realm and the spiritual realm, and that we need to be doing that, and that there's things that we need to engage in, um, and then t- the the twisting of scripture in order to justify that. But there's one thing that caught my ear when I was listening to one of his videos, and that caused me to look even further and find several areas where he had said something that was very concerning. And this has to do with the gospel. And I played one of those clips earlier when he talked about evangelism done differently. That, th- that was the name of that video, in case you want to look it up. Evangelism done differently. This was about two minutes in, two and a half minutes into the video. I think it was two minutes in. He says, I think that evangelism is getting ready to change. And he talks about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and Moses, all in that teaching. If you're interested in hearing it, and, and the cloud of witnesses again, that he saw his family um, in the cloud of witnesses, and that um, that Jesus was telling his mother, hey, look at, your, uh, look at my son Ian, look at your son Ian. And it isn't he awesome? Look at look at him. Look at what he's doing. And that's a, a reference to Hebrews twelve when it talks about the cloud of witnesses. Again, the cloud of witnesses is testifying of Christ and His promise <laughs> for eternal life and the 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 celestial city, if you will, the 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 um the the eternal city where we will be with God forever. We we will be with Him forever. And so 
again, this is whenever you start to hear a teaching that's veering off into how great we are and that we're the center, God is at the periphery looking at us and just enamored by us and all, that's not the, that's not a true gospel. That's not a true gospel. And that's not saying you don't have value. Okay. I'm not saying that you don't have value and that God doesn't, as a, a believer, he doesn't love you. As a believer, he does love you. You have been adopted into the family of God. You're a co-heir with Christ. You live in a now and not yet. You are um, seated with Christ, but that is not that's that is futuristic talk. You're not there yet, but that is a promise, eternal promise you have. You are sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. You ha- you have an inheritance in, of eternal life that's going to be given to you as a believer. We have great hope because of Christ. What's happening, though, is that in some of these teachings, there's overrealized eschatology that's happening, and then there is an exaltation of man that's happening, whether it's intentional or unintentional. I don't know the, the thoughts and intentions and motives of people's hearts. God is the only one who knows that. Having said that, when you see these things, you have to recognize that there is an exaltation of man that's taking place. When you're saying, oh, God's just so enamored by us and he just thinks we're wonderful and he's telling all the clouds of witnesses about us. And then the, the even teaching that, you know, that the cloud of witnesses and the mantles, the people having them, that helps them to continue on their destiny. OK, you're going to have to provide a chapter and verse for that in Scripture. You're going to have to point us to the passage in Scripture where that is is stated that that's truth. But notice they won't do that. Instead, they appeal to their experiences, which leads me up to this point. Now, there I mentioned the one video about the evangelism done differently and played that. And he talked about evangelism was going to, to change. And he mentioned about Psalm 67. Uh, just for time's sake, I would just encourage you again, do a Bible study on Psalm 67. Read it on your own time. But he, it, um, it almost seemed like I, that was the first one I heard, and it almost seemed like he rejected the, the fact of, of people acknowledging sin and saying, you're a sinner. This is why you need Christ, right? And then the other clip I played was a very short clip. I don't have the whole teaching. It wasn't available to me even um, on YouTube. But at the end of that clip, he said uh, that the sin was not pride, but that the sin was knowing, uh, not realizing that you looked like your father, Again, uh, that that denies it's, it would seem it denies original sin, which was found in Adam. And we see that in Romans five twelve. It begins to talk about that. Read that in Romans five, beginning in verse twelve. Read all of Romans. So with his understanding um, of the gospel, you know, you may not see anything wrong with that. And, and instead, he's saying, oh, you know that the world, the, the others are going to know, the world's going to know the goodness of God, and they're going to look at us and say, I want in on that. Is that the gospel? Is that what the world needs? And and to be fair, he does talk about how it doesn't mean that you're promised a Mercedes or that you're going to, it's not about you driving a Bentley or anything. But there were other areas that he talked about the gospel that were very problematic. There was another video that he did that he uh, mentioned about 15 minutes in he had this to say, and this is what got me looking further and making sure of what he believes. I'm going to play several clips for you, but this one I want to play for you right now. I played it at the beginning uh, just to remind you what he said about penal substitution, and this is why he said it. This I'm going to play a little bit more from this video, but you're going to hear that he's going to validate his belief on a personal experience with an angel as to why he doesn't believe in penal substitution. This King Jesus comes, this lion who appears as a lion, freshly slain, 
And Jesus is the one that's worthy then to open this scroll. Because this is what happened. We, I, I, I want to confess something theologically to you. I, I don't believe in penal substitution. You can look it up. You don't know what it means. It's fine. You don't agree with me. But I believe there's way more happening at the cross. Now, before I play his, uh, his encounter that he had with an angel to try to back up why he doesn't believe in penal substitution, when he presents his experience, I want you to consider these questions. Are his experiences authoritative? Because he's, making, he's going to make them authoritative. When you appeal to an experience and you say, Jesus said this, Jesus said that, an angel told me this, an angel told me that, you're appealing to personal experience as authoritative. Do his experiences override scripture? Because it would seem that they would. Didn't God give us all we need in his word to understand? I would say yes, because the, the word of God is complete and it is sufficient. And for instructing us and correcting us and, and guiding us and leading us. And by the Holy Spirit, who authored the scriptures, he helps us in our proper understanding of them so that we can further glorify Christ. But I want you to hear what he says. This is why he doesn't believe in penal substitution. And in case you don't know what penal substitution is, it is a term used to reference the point of Jesus having to come and die for us on the cross because our sins deserve punishment. And as such, Jesus came and satisfied or was the propitiation for our sins because we were in a a place of sin and rebellion against God. And in order for us to be reconciled back to the Father, Jesus had to come and die in our place in order for that wrath to be satisfied and for us to even have the ministry of reconciliation available to us and to give have the promise of eternal life, which was in his resurrection. But for us to be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God, Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. And that satisfied the wrath of God. So that helps you to understand penal substitution. Obviously, there you can look into more in-depth um, understanding of it and get more scriptural references to that. But I want you to understand that that's what that means. So when he says he doesn't believe in penal substitution, I find that problematic. <laughs> because if you don't believe that Jesus came and died for our sins, that's what that means because we needed salvation. Then what do you believe? Well, he believes in the gospel of the kingdom. We'll get there in just a minute, and I'm going to give you an argument for that as well because there's a distinction made between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom, and he makes that, that distinction, and he's not the only one that makes that distinction. But let's hear his encounter with the angel as to ultimately why he doesn't. He segues into not believing in penal substitution. The seer gift, for me, the seer gift um, has to be activated by fear. So you have to kind of turn it. So all the gifts, all gifts have to be activated by faith. Right? Uh, by the way, just as a side note, please provide the, the, the verse where it says that the, the spiritual gifts are activated by faith. The, the gifts are given as the Holy Spirit wills, 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. So you're going to have to find a biblical argument instead of you just putting it out there into the, the, the quote, spiritual ether to say, well, we activate the gifts by faith. We're going to need some scripture to back that up. Let's keep going. Right, you have to turn it on. But there's times I get interrupted. I've been saying chariots. I've been driving down the highway and saying chariots. Has anybody seen chariots? But there's, so there's times I have to, but most of the time I have to activate it by faith, and then there are times I get interrupted. Um, I think that's the way that most gifts kind of, kind of operate. They have to activate them by faith, but there are times when they interrupt. So I had this, uh, I'm, I'm writing a couple of books, but a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed an angel. 
Uh, he asked me, he asked me, would, would you like to interview me for, for your book? And I'm like, I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> I don't know. Is it legal? But I want to tell you something he told me. I said, is there anything you'd like us to know? He says, I wish you knew how good God was. He said, I wish you knew how good he was. Like, you think you know how good he was? I wish you knew how good he was. And I wish you knew... I'll play a little further in just a minute, about the 20-minute mark. He goes on to say that the angel told him what Jesus accomplished. And I think that's important to play. And then there's one other video clip, a couple of clips we'll look at from another teaching he did. And then talk a little bit about the gospel of the kingdom and what that actually is. Because there's not a distinction between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. There's only one gospel, one true gospel. He just said that the angel told him, in case you had a hard time hearing him, because of the, the recording that was done. He said, I, I wish, the angel told him, said, I wish that you knew how good God was and that and what God thinks of you. That was right after he just said he doesn't believe in penal substitution. He inserted that into the teaching that he was doing and talking about the book of Revelation prior to that and, and the opening of the scrolls and Jesus was the one that was worthy to open the scrolls. And then he goes on to talk about he doesn't believe in penal substitution and then he goes on to talk about this angelic encounter he had and that the angel, uh, he interviewed the angel and the, that this angel told him this. So let's go on a little bit later into this teaching to see what the angel tells him about what Jesus accomplished. Well, I felt Jesus, I felt that the angel told me what Jesus accomplished. Mm. I have a tattoo on my thigh. Uh, you can't see it, it's right there. It's a band. Uh, and it's a, it's a scripture from the book of Psalms. I'm like wondering about this scripture, and I'm like, it's one of my favorites. And uh, I'm having this conversation. And, and I go into this place about the cross. I go into this place, and I go into this sort of like, you know, all, all of you mystics know what I mean when I say I go into this place. I go into this place in the spirit of seeing stuff that. You know, whether you're in the body or out of the body, I had I didn't know. I had this I had this strong impression that Jesus just he was crucified and the enemy thought he had won. Like he was crucified and the enemy thought this is it. Like remember it was darkness that was all around Jesus. There were storms coming and and this was just it looked like the enemy had won. And then Jesus goes into captivity. Jesus goes into captivity and they're all, you know, the enemy is there and he thinks like, what are you doing here, Jesus? What are you doing here? And Jesus is going, I have the keys. Look who has the keys. I have the keys. And the enemy realizes without in that split second, oh, gosh darn it. Because he's a refined Englishman. Oh gosh darn it, it seems that I may have underestimated the God of the universe. Amen. And that this wasn't a cataclysmic battle. This was the matter of Jesus saying, yeah, I'm going to do this. It was that simple. It wasn't a clash of equals. It was just Jesus saying, I am going to do this. And I don't believe Jesus was ever abandoned on the cross by his father. I believe in the Jewish tradition when he's quoted a psalm, that you start, all you did was you say the first verse of it. 
And that first verse that Jesus is quoting, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me, ends in like being glorified by the Father. And Jesus is quoting this whole psalm in that moment to say, I'm actually in the process of winning. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, again, this is denying why Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins and, and acknowledging even that that the, ap- the, the environment, the atmosphere, and I don't mean that in a um, mystical way, but even the environment was responding to the wrath of God and, and the darkness that came. And Jesus crying out and, and um, referencing Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, because the people there would have heard him say this and they would have recognized him saying this. And and mind you, let's also point to the fact that the Old Testament, the hundreds of prophecies, the hundreds of verses that are referencing the Messiah and what will happen to him and his body being crushed and, and him being crucified and lots being cast for his garments and Judas betraying him and that and that he would die like a being led like, like a lamb to the slaughter, that he would die for us. He would be the suffering servant that Isaiah 53 talks about. Let's not forget all of the passages in the Old Testament that are leading up to this point with him coming to earth in, in his incarnation and him coming to show who the Messiah was and to um, draw people, draw his people unto himself that was, that can only be done by the Father, by the way, John 6, 44. And then to have him die on a cross and to bring the ministry of reconciliation. He nailed, our sins were nailed to the cross. He disarmed the authorities, Colossians 2, 15. He disarmed the principalities. There was no defeat at the cross for Jesus. The defeat was of sin and death. The defeat was of the devil. It really frustrates me to hear people diminish the cross in such a way, and they're and they're trying to make it something that it wasn't. The scripture is sufficient for us to understand what Christ did, and it doesn't need anybody changing the narrative. And that's what's happening, is the narrative is being changed because it just apparently is not enough for for what Christ did. Because you know why? Because Christ is a stumbling block. And Christ is offensive to people that don't want to hear the truth. That is the actual truth. And the scripture testifies that that Christ is the stumbling block. He is the rock of offense to people that don't want to hear that. And my friend, when the gospel has to be changed in order to please the masses, then we have another gospel. And when you are at the center of the gospel and you are at the one that is the focus and how wonderful you are and that Jesus loved you so much that he went bank, that heaven went bankrupt for you and that you just need to realize that you're a son or daughter of God, then, then we have another gospel being presented. And this is dangerous. And it's not only dangerous, it's eternally deadly. Now, I have a couple more clips from one final teaching and then we'll talk about the gospel at the end because this is what we need to be grounded in as believers. We must have a firm foundation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may have heard some distinctions in some of these teachings that people will say, well, there's the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. There is no distinction. And you'll hear this in his teachings. So there was one final video that he did, and he talks about, uh, this was a video he did five years ago, a teaching he did at a church called Powerful Sons and Daughters. It did not mention the gospel in the title, but I noticed that it was broken up into sections, into little chapters, I guess, on YouTube. In the very beginning, uh, he says about the five-minute mark, he says this, and I want you just to brace yourself. I'm just trying to figure out whether you trust me. 
or not just yet. So if you haven't heard me, that might be tricky. So I, I want you to know I do not believe in the gospel of salvation. Should I leave? I don't believe in the gospel of salvation. It's not biblical. There's no such a thing in the New Testament called the gospel of salvation. And we've made it our God. We've made it the most important thing. Jesus didn't come down and say, hey, I need you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Forgive me my sins and whatever else the last bit is. And we've made that the most important thing. We go to conferences. Pastors, leaders go to conferences on you know, how to effectively do an altar call at the end. You know, you put all to Jesus, I surrender on in the music, and, and then you invite people up to give their life to Jesus, and it's nowhere in the New Testament. So what are we doing? The central message of Jesus was not say a sinner's prayer and get to heaven. So does it surprise you that there's no gospel of salvation in the New Testament or the Old Testament? It certainly surprised me when I started to hear about it, because the gospel, the only gospel that it mentions is the gospel of the kingdom. It is the gospel of the kingdom. Now, believe me, you need to get saved, born again, bow the knee, washed in the blood of the lamb, whatever you call it, you need to have that experience. You need to make Jesus your friend. But that's part of a bigger gospel. The gospel of salvation, the goal is actually to get you to heaven. The gospel of the kingdom is the goal is to get heaven on earth. Now, to be fair, I'm going to agree with him as far as there is no sinner's prayer in scripture. And... Uh, you know, there's even debates about uh, altar calls and how truly effective they are as far as people really being regenerated and coming to faith in Christ. And you can find some studies on that even uh, regarding even uh, Billy Graham's um, ministry and such, some of the research that they did with that. But did you hear him <laughs> just say that he said there is no gospel of salvation, that that's unbiblical? That there is actually just um, you coming to be washed by the blood of Christ and and um, and and praying to the Lord. He's acknowledging those things, but he's saying there's no gospel of salvation. He's like, oh, it's just part of you know being cleansed by the uh, washed in the blood and bowing the knee and and praying and asking God. But it's the gospel of the kingdom. Well, there's a problem here because when you look and and you understand what the gospel of the kingdom is which we find this phrase in scripture. Um, I mean, it talks about the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that's used repeatedly um, with, with Christ and his work on the earth. And, and of course, we know that the gospel, the word gospel means good news. As we go on, we can see that there are references in scripture, such as in Luke ten nine and Matthew four seventeen, where um, Jesus said that the kingdom of God was near, that it had come near. And we can see that, for example, after John was arrested, that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that was the message that Jesus even ministered. We see this in Mark, that he continued even after John was arrested to say, repent, repent and believe in the gospel. Um, when he was asked to define his kingdom, he ex he said this. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That's in Luke 17, verses 20 through 21. And so we can see that the gospel of the kingdom is is the good news. That is the, the message of repentance, redemption, and restoration, the ministry of reconciliation that can only come by God. It comes by grace through faith in Christ. To all those who will receive Christ, they are given the promise of eternal life. They're, they're forgiven of their sins. And those who accept 
they accept the gift of grace. They accept his for, uh, the, what he did on the cross for their and forgiveness for their sins. They become part of his kingdom that is eternal. This kingdom will never go away. It will never be done with. It will never fade away. Uh, John one twelve says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We can see that there is no distinction there, that actually the gospel of the kingdom has in it, within it, the gospel of salvation because Jesus is the king. He is coming to bring his kingdom. And he is coming to say, this is the good news. You repent. The call is to repent and believe that there is freedom from the tyranny of, of sin. There is freedom from the tyranny of Satan the little God of this world. That, and that freedom is found by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is found in the call, in the answered call, the effectual call of repent and believe. Repent and believe and turn to God for your salvation. Romans chapter 6, verses 18 through 19 says, And having been set free from sin, have become, we have become slaves of righteousness. Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The gospel of the kingdom is about you no longer being a slave to sin, and you are no longer um, at enmity with God. You are no longer a child of disobedience. You are now a citizen of heaven. You are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. That's the good news, and you're and you're freed from the bondages of sin and from this world. You're free from the bondages of Satan, as I said. You're no longer under the tyranny of Satan. You have the promise of eternal life, and you have hope even in this fallen world while you are still on this earth, that you've been given grace by God. It's that gift to have faith, to believe that he saves you, that he has saved you from the penalty of sin that you deserve, that I deserve. But he saved us from that. He saved us. He's delivered us from the penalty of sin. And he's delivered us from the power of sin. And the Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us in that through sanctification. So th- these are all things that we need to realize. We need to realize that Jesus said in John 18, 36, his kingdom was not of this world. Those are the things that we take away from that. The, the gospel of the kingdom at its fundamental core is the gospel of salvation and understanding who the real king is. And it is Christ and that his kingdom lasts forever and that we become citizens of his kingdom. And in doing that, we are told to proclaim the gospel, this gospel that, that saved us, and we are to make disciples. It's not about us bringing heaven to earth, and it's not about us uh, conquering the seven mountains of influence. It's not about any of that and taking dominion back, because that's what Jesus did, is that the dominion that Adam lost is that he g- gave it back to us. Yeah, salvation's a little bit of it, but, you know, I've talked about this before, but yeah, you know, ultimately we need our authority and our dominion back. You know, Ian Carroll also believes that he said 16 minutes in that God is not in control. He talked about, you know, letting your light shine before men. And Matthew 5, 16 does say that. And the point of that is to glorify your father in heaven with, with and, and to show your good works, which testify of Christ, which testify of God, your father, who you belong to, and that your nature has been changed. You have been transformed. You have been brought from death to life. You were dead. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead. 
And God is the one that brings you to life. 23 minutes into this teaching, he he talks about understanding you're a child of God by repenting. But he says that repenting is just to change your mind, that you need to embrace sonship. And that was the goal of what he's talking about, powerful sons and daughters, is that you need to realize the power of sonship. You need to be uh, have the ability to be adjusted and understanding sonship. And then when you're able to be adjusted, that's the good, that's the mark of good quality sonship. And he says, and he talked about how that the church talks about authority, but nobody's moving in it and not being a son or daughter delays your destiny. And he mentioned Romans 8 again about revealing the sons of, of God. I mean, just all of these things that are pointing back to you, about the about your power and and your significance and what you need to be doing. Let me just tell you this: in order for you to be a child of God, you must be reconciled to God. Not everybody is a child of God. That's why we need to hear the gospel. We need to be proclaiming the gospel as believers, and we need to hear the gospel. Um, I came across a quote the other day. Martin Luther said it, and it said the the reason why we need to hear the gospel every day is because we forget the gospel every day. We need to hear the gospel daily. We need to remember from what we've been saved, who has saved us, and why we need Christ every day. That's not for you to live in condemnation because we know Romans 8, 1 tells tells those of us who are in Christ, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But the gospel doesn't bring us into condemnation. It shows the truth of why we need him, why we need God. Why we need reconciliation. This is not about you and me misplacing our sonship or our daughtership. This is about the fact we were at enmity with God. These are biblical passages that say this over and over. We were children of disobedience. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, un- we were uh, by nature children of wrath. We were at enmity with God. We were of our father, the devil. But we had been brought from death to life. And that only happens through faith in Jesus Christ and his grace alone. And that comes through the ministering and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we have to win people by parlor tricks, and we have to win people by, you know, God loves you and he has a good plan for you, but we don't tell them they're at enmity with God and we, what the scripture says, then if they don't place their faith in Christ and turn from their sins and acknowledge their need for a savior, and they will forever be separated from God and have to endure the punishment because they did not receive the propitiation that Christ paid on the cross. I know that that's an offensive message, but that's what the gospel is. It's truth bathed in the justice of God, and the love and mercy of God. So in order to be a child of God, you must be reconciled to God. And that only happens through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's only one gospel. And when you have someone standing there and saying, I don't believe in the gospel of salvation, I don't believe in penal substitution, then that leaves no other no other response than to mark and avoid. There was a thing I saw recently that they put up on their ministry page, and it said, he did not come to save you from the world. He came to restore the world through you. Who's the Savior here? Because it doesn't sound like Jesus Christ is the Savior just from that simple statement. And that's not me taking that out. That's something that they just simply posted on their ministry page. He did not come to save the world, save you from the world. He came to restore the world through you. Well, that's very true. He did not come to save us from the world. He came to save us from the wrath of God. And Romans 5 talks about that. He came to save us from the wrath of God. He came to purchase a people of his, for his own possession. 
And and I believe that what the gospel says is sufficient. I understand that the gospel is offensive to people. The true gospel, in accordance with scripture, is offensive. Not because we're trying to be offensive, but because it is and because scripture says it will be offensive. Because there will be people that will not receive Christ. Their hearts are hardened. Their spiritual understanding is darkened. But we are still to proclaim the gospel. We are still to proclaim Christ. This whole thing of focusing on activating angels, which we don't activate angels, and activating spiritual gifts, and talking about how, oh, well, you know, the new age, it's tapping into the same spiritual realm, and we need to be, you know, we need to be doing these things as long as they line up with scripture, of course, scripture that we take out of context, and that we make it mean what we says it, that we want it to mean, and that we can say, it's okay, you know, necromancy, I don't really like entertaining that, but I do it, you know, because Jesus did it on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, you know, we can transform into different things like Harry Potter's okay. Quit telling your kids to not watch Harry Potter because there's some biblical things in there like the incantations and transforming into something by drinking potions. This is why we must get back to the word of God and reading it. And we cannot sit and 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 be entertained like goats. We must be sheep. If we're truly of God's flock, we are not going to tolerate this type of teaching. And when he asked that question that you heard, I'm trying to figure out if you trust me or not. And um, then he said, I don't believe in the gospel of salvation. Should I leave? Actually, the people in that room should have left. They should have picked up their stuff and walked out. Because to say something like that and you knowing that it's going to be controversial and you there, there has to be some sort of knowing there. I'm about to say I'm about to say something that's not lining up with God's word. And it's going to cause a problem potentially. Why would a shepherd do that? A true shepherd of God, a pastor, would point back to the true shepherd that's found in Scripture. And they would not feed something in the pasture to the flock and say, I don't know if you can trust me or not, but I'm about to give you something to digest. Should, should, should I leave? This is something to look at the teaching, and the teaching is not lining up with Scripture. And if anything, it's lining up more with paganism, and it's lining more up with New Age stuff. And he even admits in in interviews, and you can find these as well, he admits in an interview of how he grew up. And all of us have had things happen in our our families that we're not proud of and such. I get that. So there's nothing, I'm not going to say anything disparaging as far as that's concerned, but I'm just pointing this out. He does admit that he grew up in a family where his grandmother was a Wiccan. And that he acknowledges that he grew up, he was taught how to see into the spirit, but then he renounced all this stuff. Well, you can't say that and then turn around and start engaging in this other way and say, well, there's only one spirit realm and I'm just engaging in it in the right way. But I'm still looking like these other people that are that are like engaging in it in a paganistic way that God told in his word not to do. So I just wanted to share some of these things with you today, and I appreciate you taking time to listen. And this was just a focus on the specific individual's teaching. Again, not the individual himself and to look at him on a personal level, but to talk about the teachings and why they are so problematic. And it becomes extremely problematic when you begin manipulating and contorting the gospel. And the gospel is sufficient in what scripture has relayed to us, what it has described to us both in the Old Testament, because it is the gospel of salvation that's mentioned in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And that includes the leading to the gospel of the kingdom. That's one and the same. 
Salvation is within the gospel of the kingdom. You're now no longer a citizen under the tyranny of Satan. You are now a citizen of heaven. And your king is Christ. And he is the one who has saved you. The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. He is the one who has saved you from the wrath of God. And he has atoned for your sins. He has propitiated and satisfied the wrath of God for your sins. And all of this is found in the word of God. And if this is a problem for Ian Carroll or those that don't believe in such things, then my friend, what they're saying is another gospel. And we need to be very aware of what's being taught. I hope that this has helped you today. If you want to reach out to me, you feel free to reach out at dawn at lovesubscribe.com. If you've found this podcast helpful, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review so that other people can find it and be helped by it. Feel free to share it with other friends or family um, if you like to see if it helps them. And until next time, when we look at another biblical topic and we look and see what scripture says compared to these other things that are going on within this movement, I hope you have a blessed week and I hope you're blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.